0: Hey, gang, welcome to episode 121 of the No Procinium podcast, the voice of everything immersive. I'm Noah Nelson coming to you from No Pro headquarters in Los Angeles. Today on the show, we've got a visitor from London, Venetia Harpin, an immersive producer out there, is coming to talk to us about uh, her career sort of in the space that's between uh, events producing, experiential marketing and immersive in and of itself. Uh, this is a really fun conversation, so I hope you stick around for all of it. Again, it's kind of old school and that we've got the one big segment of the show today, uh, mostly because uh, we've been a little busy lately, and uh, more more on that in like 27 seconds. But first, we've got to thank the people who make this show possible. That's right, our Patreon backers. Um, I am stoked because uh, after like a lull for a while, we've got people joining on this insane quest of ours. Uh, here is the breakdown for this week. We've got four people joining up and one person bumping up to sustaining backer status. So you know, they're they're jumping in in a big way. Here we go with this, uh, Kellyan Adams, right? Who's also also a a contributor uh, at NoPro, um, and. I, I will point out. Uh, does it feel weird sometimes? Yes, it does. I should be paying them, uh, not the other way around. But uh, you know, it's an, call it an investment in the future, or call it uh, all the contributors paying each other. So that awkwardness out of the way. But no, seriously, thank you. I don't say. I just, just you know, I, I have I have if any if everyone knows one thing about me, I have like ethical lines, and I'm I'm always everything that comes up. I'm like, oh, should we be doing this? Um, and so you know, we find our ways. Eddie Liu, Jason Aldis, and David Quaid all also jumped in. Thank all of you for joining this crusade of ours. And now we have two sustaining backers. Of course, Ross Sigworth uh, has long been our sustaining backers. backer. And uh, stepping to up to the plate is Lonnie Hanson, who is out in Denver. Uh, thank you, Lonnie, for jumping in uh, and becoming one of the sustaining backers on the show. Uh, Lonnie and I talk every week so um and and he often peppers me with questions about the podcast um i i Lonnie, Lonnie listens closer than i do uh i can guarantee that i can absolutely guarantee he'll because he'll say like so you said this and i was like i i did when did i say that um so just remember i'm making this up as i go along folks um there's there's internal consistency but this is much more uh, uh improv than it is um or, you know, think about it like it's it's sort of like 80s Marvels Marvel comics, right? Occasionally, there might be some internal continuity, you know, error. But um, you only get a prize if you can explain away how it's not an error. A no prize. Ask me about this. Um, speaking of the Patreon, uh, we are at 91 patrons. So we're just nine away from 100 and we're just twenty three dollars short of the next goal, which is five hundred dollars, which is when I get to start laying out a very specific budget item line for uh, reimbursing travel expenses for the crew. Uh, After that, we've got some um, other budget line items that include things like uh, improving the sound quality, Opening up the door for us to start doing some serious VR coverage uh, and and maybe even maybe even just building a travel budget um, It'd be nice to have a travel budget uh, Because people are always like oh, can you come out to this show? I was like, yeah, where is it like Nebraska? And I'm like, uh, I, I Can't get to Nebraska. I'd go we, we send people sometimes but sometimes people are like, oh, oh we want you at the show and um, I don't want to fall into the trap of the 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 weird ethical lines on that happen in some industries where the reporters get flown out on junkets. There's nothing wrong with that. It just it, it just is kind of a little opaque to people. They don't entirely get it. And people then say like, oh, well, you got flown out to do this thing. And and, and it's just like, uh, yeah, I mean, media is broke, man. Like, why do you think we're asking for money? Um, you know, look, there's a whole nother thing there. It's why we do Patreon so that we can have the support coming from listeners like you. Um, and remember that the efforts that are here are not just the podcast. They are the newsletters. They are the, uh, the, the website. We put up five reviews yesterday, five, two continents, four cities, five reviews, All right, Kellyanne came in, Leah came in, Catherine, Anthony, myself, all dropped knowledge yesterday. There's new reviews on the site today. It's just, it's amazing, nopersinium.com, it's amazing. And (laughs) I felt stupid. Um, I am so impressed by the work that the team is doing and I'm so, I know there's even more we can do. And there's also everything immersive. And there's, there's, there's a lot of work that happens that you don't see. And, uh, editing takes time and all that other fun stuff. So if you get value from any of the things that we do, um, and we granted, we don't do them alone, but, um, maker knows, uh, if this was my full-time job, wow. Wow. Anyway, I'm on staycation. I'm pretty happy. You can hear it in my voice. I got no responsibilities other than the ones I set for myself right now, um, which means me, like I'm doing a bunch of stuff uh, for this and for the immersive design summit, which is coming up in January. On January sixth, we are beyond excited about this. We have started announcing who is going to be there, and frankly, uh, I'm plotting i'm blotzing because let me share with you the lineup that we have as he goes to the website opposed to looking to his notes on uh, the website loads slowly uh the lineup we have as i am recording this uh it is not the fault the website it like is refusing to load right now mm, i've got to talk to steve boyle about that i can do this off the top of my head i know i can i just wanted to see whether or not we had like announced anybody new yet this morning so oh here it is okay so here are the speakers. As they are right now. And we are not done yet. Just want to be clear. We're not done. So as I'm recording this, Colin Nightingale, creative producer at Punch Drunk International. Right? So he's going to talk. Tom Pearson, co-artist ed- director of Third Rail Projects. I think you know who they are. Yelena Rachitsky, executive producer at Oculus. Yelena knows more about both the digital and the physical immersive space than I do. All right. So I am I am so stoked to have Yelena on board um, like Yelena's who I turn to when people go like, oh, no, all these things, And I just I'm like, oh, whatever, you know, and then I go, like, Yelena, what is this? So there you go. I'm bringing the people who mentor me to this for you. John Braver of Delusion, Brent Bushnell of Two Bit Circus. All right. And we're not done yet. We're announcing more people today. I could probably say who they are, but Steve Boyle will get probably, it's like, what, you did it on the show? And I was like, yeah, well, you know, I'm not going to, but you can look. Go to ImmersivedesignSummit.com. Here is the thing. We're doing this at the Speakeasy in San Francisco, which is a lovely, lovely venue. Given the number of people we have talking, we know that we can comfortably fit about 100 paid guests. So we're putting out, gonna put out 100 tickets. There's gonna be, um, we're not just gonna like make money the gate for this. We're gonna have a process by which people can apply to come to the summit because this is a summit. The reaction so far has been amazing. We know that ultimately, one way or another, whether we set the ticket price stupidly high, which we don't want to do, or we use some other system to figure out how you know well who gets to come, we're gonna disappoint some folks we also knew that if we had rented a giant hall and just hoped everybody showed up that we might get screwed over that way so just know we hear the enthusiasm we would love to be able to invite everyone who is interested in coming to this one and we are already talking about what we can do with the second time we do this to open the doors even wider what we want to do is we want to make sure that this first one is excellent Not just good, not okay, not just, you know, oh, it's like another one of those like conference things and I just go, no, 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 not for our audience, not for the people who make immersive. It just can't be that, can't be that. So we're working hard on making something special. And once we know we can do it and do it right, we're going to open the doors even wider in the future. That's the idea anyway. So, ImmersiveDesignSummit.com. Let me say that again because I said it wrong. <laughs> I mean, I said it right, but it sounded weird to me. ImmersiveDesignSummit.com. S- sign up on the newsletter there. Get updates into your inbox. The process by which tickets will be apportioned is going to be announced rather soon. Not like in a couple of hours if you hear this. Like, you know, we're, we're in a slightly larger time frame than that but it's coming on January 6th, the the event. So, you know, we don't have much time to tell you what's up, okay? More details, certainly next week. Um, and indeed, uh, we'll have Steve and uh, maybe Steve and Gabe uh, on the show to uh, talk a little about what it is we're up to. Um, there, that sounds right. I think I did that right. What do you mean you think you did that right? You're making up the rules. Yeah, just because I make up the rules doesn't mean that I can't screw up. After all, we're about 11 minutes into the show already. We haven't started the show. So it's time to make the music, and it's time to light the lights. Let's get into this episode of No Persinium, our main interview here. Our only interview here, our great conversation that we had with Venetia Harpin. Um, Venetia had reached out to us through Everything Immersive, Facebook, group that we have which you can find at com, reached out to us and said hey i'm coming to los angeles i want to meet with people I want to see shows and i was like cool yeah you know come on by the office hours and, and everything i didn't get a chance to talk to her at office hours but she was talking to folks like megan mikhail sherwin and to the folks at the speakeasy society and she had like you know meetings and whatnot and actually matt from the speakeasy society like texted me matt who's also one of the founders of Leia, texted me it was like you should have her on the show she's really great have her on the show Uh, She knows a lot. Uh, You're going to have a great conversation. And I was like, okay, because that's how we roll. Matt Bamberg Johnson tells me that something's cool. I tend to believe him. The man has a collection of Star Wars tiki mugs. How can I not? He's even got the Jabba and Salacious Crumb. I mean, I got to listen to him, right? I've trusted him with my Halloween props, okay? Anyway... Um, this is also why I don't review Speakeasy Society shows Because like, are like, oh, like, yo, you have this bromance with Matt It's like, it's true, it's true, it's true Alright, um, fun fact uh, Anyway, I'll do that later, after the show I'll tell you the fun fact, I swear to God I'll tell you the fun fact after the interview um, it's, it's, it's hilarious to me anyway, it's about my social awkwardness and you're not here for social awkwardness, not yet anyway. You're here to hear Venetia Harpen talk about, uh, we talked about what how the scene is in London. We talked about her career. There's a whole branch of the immersive and experiential world that we don't talk that much about on the show, which is experiential marketing. This for me was a nice clinic in kind of understanding that world more. We're going to be opening up the gates here, you know? You can see it in everything immersive. As people talk about VR, as we talk about mixed reality, as we talk about experiential marketing, these activations that are happening, brand events, etc. You know, there are many, many roads to get to our immersive, engaged future. This is one of them. Let's roll the tape. Venetia, we met via Facebook. Yes, right, we did. Right. Um, via Everything Immersive. You came by the office hours we had. And you've been kind of you're from London. I am indeed. And you've been you've been kind of running around LA for the past couple of weeks and like meeting a lot of the people here. And I wanted to ask you, uh, one, I wanna to talk to you a bit about like what's going on with immersive in, in London since it's sort of the the mothership. And then two, sort of like what you're learning about Los Angeles. So this will, and we've never, as I was saying right before we started, we've never really had a conversation before.
1: No, this is, um, this is the starting block. This is where it all begins.
0: Yeah. So this will be one of those episodes, which is (laughs) kind of fun. So um, let's, let's start. uh, How'd you get into immersive stuff? And like, what kind of stuff do you make? Because you're a producer. What, What do you make?
1: Okay, so to answer the first question, how did I get into Immersive? I think there were a few things that happened um, around the same time. Uh, one of them was I went to a secret cinema production, mm. and I, I had to check this. I looked back, it was in 2010, so it was seven years ago, and it was their production of Lawrence of Arabia. And it pretty much blew my mind. <laughs> they had um, this huge old building called Alexandra Palace, um, I remember that on the um, walk up outside, they had guys on horseback doing fight scenes, and there was a dude shepherding camels. <laughs> Is that camels? Yeah, oh, my camels God. in London, and um, and then you went into this <laughs> whole like um, sort of souk Bedouin style market scene where you could wander around and buy sweets and try foods. And then there was, you know, after that, this beautiful kind of open bar space where there was music playing. And then at the end of all of this adventure, you got to sit down on, on um, pillows and watch Lawrence of Arabia in this beautiful old building. So um, that was a great introduction.
0: Was, was the movie? This is what we really <laughs> want to know about Secret Cinema. Does the movie wind up being a letdown?
1: I think there have been productions in the past where, and particularly with that one because it's such a long film, people gave up. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, where they've they've um, they found that after all of the excitement and the immersive elements, then the the film is you know can be a little bit anticlimactic. Um, also in the the olden days where you really didn't know what film you were going to see, sometimes you went to see a production and you genuinely hadn't seen the film before, so it didn't always make sense. Mm. Um, which I think is now why they've kind of moved to the model more of announcing what the production is. But um, there's, they've, they've definitely grown as a company. I think they've been going around 10 years now and they've mitigated that by having live action um, sort of replications or little kind of vignettes acted out whilst you're watching the movie. And then they, um, they might have uh, some of the kind of communal space like the bar or, or wherever are open afterwards so you can just kind of go along and hang out and have some more drinks and dance afterwards as well so it's more of a rounded experience now but yeah I think it was a little top heavy in the, in the early days
0: mm. yeah I had Aaron me described the, the Empire Strikes Back one to be in great detail mm. as we walked uh, through Manhattan one day uh, and I guess the advantage there was that they recreated Star Wars. So then, when you got to the film, you were getting the sequel to what you just lived through, yeah. which was, you know, there's a. a but not every film can, can <laughs> do that. Um, so that's how you got interested as a audience member. Mm. Um, what kind of work have you been doing in the space?
1: So I, um, I have a background that's in straight up events. I um, I don't come from a theatre background, which I know a lot of people in this scene do. Um, I don't come from sort of the VR side of immersive, which I know is bigger out here. Um, I started off throwing parties for a living, <laughs> ostensibly it was, you know, creating kind of really cool environments where there was maybe a theme or a concept, as you would often get. Um, and then I just found that going to lots of... Um, places that inspired me, things like immersive theatre like secret cinema, but also the festival scene in Britain which is incredibly um, imaginative in terms of the types of walkabout entertainment you have, little kind of weird pop-ups of um, activities and audience interaction, all sorts of things that go on. I found myself kind of pulling inspiration from all of these environments and wanting to uh, design parties that were more interactive. Mm. Um, So it really kind of went from there, and in the early days, that was just, oh, well, look, you know, we'll make the cocktail menu kind of sound like the theme, or like, you know, we might be encouraging people to come in fancy dress, and it was, you know, things that are pretty basic sounding by today's standards, but this is sort of 10 years ago um, where standards were different. Um, So it really kind of came from then, and then as I started to do more work with brands, which is kind of what I do now, it was really a case of kind of taking those elements and creating more of a story with them Mm. and that's really kind of my focus now is if you have um a brand or a product or an idea that you want to tell people then storytelling is really effective getting people engaged getting them to interact with their environment is much more fun much more stimulating than some guy stood on a stage giving a presentation
0: this is something that's really starting to kind of crack open Mm. for for, I think for a lot of the immersive creators, they're seeing it as you know a possible steady line of work. Um, and on the other side of it, on the marketing side and the advertising side, I mean, I think there was an article, it was like an ad week, like this month, that yeah. was when, like the, the month we're recording this, that was basically saying, you know, most ad dollars are just being wasted. Like people aren't watching ads, you know, they're not hitting the eyeballs, but if you build an event, Suddenly, it's it's a lot
1: different. Yeah, if you build it, they will come. I mean, yeah. it's. I, I think we have to really give credit to our audiences because um, we're we're smarter. You can't just kind of slap a big logo on things these days and expect it to convert people's minds about you know a brand or a product. So um, there's a lot more blurring of the boundaries between what's advertising and marketing and what's what's entertainment. And mm. those experiences that are genuinely fun and engaging are what. What really kind of beholden someone to to a brand, you know? If you go along to a festival or Comic Con or wherever you're going, and there's something that like, sticks out like a sore thumb, it doesn't feel genuine. You're not really going to be that interested. But if it's a faithful um, or, you know, replica or um, homage to something that you you love, then you're gonna you're gonna be more into it.
0: Yeah. It reminds me of the fact that the Blade Runner thing they did at Comic Con this year, at SDCC, you know, was sponsored by Johnny Walker. Johnny mm. Walker. You know, was famously one of the sponsors of, of where they had product placement in the original film, and yes. also had product placement in this film. Yeah, I
1: noticed it in the new film. Yeah, yeah <laughs> very was, prominent. Product yeah, placement. The, the only
0: thing, the only thing weird about it in this film was like the bottle was like different and strange. They've the bo- done a
1: weird futuristic bottle. Yeah. yeah. Whereas
0: <laughs> I think in the original, like it was just a bottle of Johnny Walker. I don't think there was a futuristic bottle. Maybe I'm wrong. I'm, I, the glasses were distinct, but the bottle yeah. was just a bottle. But I do remember that you know when I. You know, I will admit the first time I had Scotch, I had to have some like Johnny Walker new black because that's what Deckard had in the original Blade Runner, right?
1: They, they sucked you in, they, they got me you. In. <laughs>
0: Got me to drink blended scotch as my first
1: hard alcohol. Amen, brother. Yeah. <laughs> I think mine was Jameson's. Yeah, I wanted to be able to drink Jack Daniels because I was a rock kid and I knew that that's what Lemmy from Motorhead drank. Yeah, but Jameson's was sweeter, so I was like, right, I'm going to wean myself in.
0: <laughs> Jack is Jack is difficult. It's why Jack and Coke is still a thing. Um, well, it's funny to talk about like like drinks and whatnot because another thing that was in that article that sort of hit me like, oh right, duh. Was how much Red Bull's done in terms of being like the the, the leaders of experience huge marketing.
1: huge amounts of ambient marketing. Yeah. Um, I don't know the exact extent of what they've done in North America, but in Europe they are. You know, they have all their kind of crazy races. They have projects where they just sponsor graffiti artists to do um, pieces in like colleges and bars, and there's not any form of advertising attached to it it's not got a logo on it it's not stated any way that it's rebel it's just all about constantly building relationships with these environments that fit their demographic
0: yeah which is just just almost weird you know (laughs) it's like there's 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 this sort of dystopian sci-fi element to the idea of like oh well, brands brands are you know our cultural shepherds brands are the things we organize ourselves around brands are religion and yet i mean you know humans organize themselves around stories, right? It's a big part of our identity.
1: That's completely it. I mean, I think the, the thing I find myself doing more and more is trying to tell, tell that story in the sense that when people buy a product, they're not really buying a product, they're buying into an aspiration or a lifestyle. Yeah. You know, that's, I mean, yes, maybe for the kind of more kind of day-to-day consumer stuff, it's a bit more, but for the big kind of, I'm going to buy this car because I want to be that kind of guy or I'm going to, you know, buy that kind of whiskey brand because I identify with them. That's, that's you know, that's the name of the game these days. <laughs> how
0: does how does the immersive stuff kind of fold into that? Like, what's, is there a matter of like a secret sauce element to it or is it a matter of all the other forms are just diminishing returns?
1: I think there's there's an, a, a crucial distinction to make, which is when you have an environment that's designed to be, um, for example, a public ticketed experience... <laughs> I'm very reticent to try and shoehorn in product placement because it's very tricky to get it to be authentic to the world that you're trying to create and nothing feels worse than me when you're kind of going through an immersive experience and they've kind of you know they've tried to sort of slap in a booze brand at the bar or something that doesn't feel like it's really part of of what that world would, would, um, would dictate. So I'm more on the side of things where a brand would come to me and say we want to get people talking about a certain thing we've got our campaign we've got our new car or our new product coming out and we want to find a fun way for people to talk about it and something that's stimulating and kind of echoes our brand values to use a commonly used term um so i'm i build things from scratch from the brand side of it and Mm. that can be a an environment that's a little bit interactive we can talk, if you want, about how people differentiate between experiential and immersive. Please. It's, I mean... Let's, j- let's like... Because, <laughs> right, right, like, we,
0: you know, we, we're, we're building the... You know, we're building this league thing. We're building, like, you know, the, the league of experiential and immersive artists, right? Yeah. So, like... Uh, so where that line is, particularly because like what is immersive, we are, we're always mm. arguing about. Oh, so I, I don't know. think
1: there's. I mean, there's uh, so many different definitions. It really depends which angle you come from. But I can yeah. just tell you how I personally interpret them. Go for it. I think with experiential, you are creating an interactive environment where your your guests or your audience can can choose to participate. They can come into it. They can pick things up. They can play in a, a game or take part in an activity. Um, but it's a little bit kind of. It's, it's effectively it's optional it's it's, mm. it's it's touch points that enhance an experience but it's not a full world um, to me immersive in the sense that I um, produce it is kind of like experiential 2.0 so you've got an an environment where it's kind of you kind of have to take part because it's all around you it's multisensory it's um, it's all built around you being an, a participant rather than a voyeur. Yeah. So it kind of breaks down that barrier. Interestingly, I've realized that since I formed these definitions, um, I went and saw Sleep No More in pun- uh, the Punch Dunk production only earlier this year. I don't know if I would necessarily class it as immersive because you have a very strong barrier of, audience and actor in it. Yeah. Which is weird because it's seen as like one of the ultimate icons of immersive theater. And now I'm like, wait a minute, am I allowed to do that?
0: (laughs) Well, and, 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 but, but I think a lot of people, I mean, it's funny because, you know, I, I had this working definition for a long time, which sort of from a, from a creative standpoint was if you could run the show without a single audience member there, it wasn't really immersive. And, with the exception of like the little moments where they pull someone away, you could run sleep no more. Without I like your anyone. definition. I yeah. think yeah,
1: I think it works with mine. Yeah, we'll smush them together and they yeah. can be friends. Yeah,
0: well, and I think it's also it's yeah. it's you know it's it's different litmus tests for yeah. like you know you know it's the I feel it's like it's the audience litmus test. This whole idea of three sixty yeah. like that sense people would often talk that way of like once I step through the world completely, you know, I'm in that world, right? Nothing sort of you know like and there's there's a limited amount of like suspension of disbelief. I feel like that's some of the elasticity in immersive yep. is like, how much do you have to suspend your disbelief? Oh, I got to ignore the lighting fixtures or like, yeah, that's like a, a, a you know, truss set up above me, like beam and truss, like, okay, mm. then that's not what's really supposed to be here. So you got to kind of like ignore some things. You hope to walk into an environment, a Disney caliber environment where you're just like, uh, every, like, there were the only things going to be, this is actually the joke right now is that uh, one of my friends is pointing out. You know, they're they're building this incredibly immersive Star Wars, you know, theme park uh, extension. Yeah, but there's going to be like ten thousand people in there with like t-shirts on. You know, so it's like the other guests are going to be the thing. Really well, that like. was the
1: other thing that pulled me out of it all the time for Sleep No More the was the people. fact that you've got, and also I think the um, the type of audience. um now, tracks is very tourist heavy, and yeah. they are they're quite aggressive about getting right up in like the faces of the actors. And I'm like, I'm only five foot four; I can't see anything, guys. Back off a bit. Yeah, oh, they're yeah, they're packing them in there, mm. and like,
0: there's like what, some 400 people at each show or something ridiculous like that now.
1: But I mean, I credit where it's due to Punch Junk. They've they're one of the few companies, theatre companies, who have straddled both sides of the Atlantic. The productions I've seen in London. Um, uh, the drowned man was absolutely phenomenal, and I'm very gutted that I didn't get tickets to Kabir.
0: <laughs> and those those have cycled out now. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. That was hard for everyone, but.
1: But that's the thing that happens a lot here in LA. There's a lot of productions oh, yeah. that sell out.
0: Oh, that was, that was the funniest thing about watching London melt down about, what were they, 155 pounds? Yeah, was something Was it for like two? For, or, yeah. Yeah. So watching London melt down about tickets that were 100, and mind you, that's, what, that's about $300 these days, right? Usually somewhere to 200. The, yeah, okay. the
1: exchange rate's Pretty rubbish from my side, so I think you'd be about two fifty dollars. About two fifty, yeah. okay.
0: So two hundred fifty dollars for two, so that's one hundred twenty. So one hundred twenty-five dollars a head, six-hour-long thing, and I saw people complain, and people were complaining about that part of it. They were complaining about the the lottery system, and in both cases, looking at as someone who's in Los Angeles, where things are going from like seventy you know, up to like 150 and selling out in five seconds and there's no lottery systems. I was surprised. And they're for like two hour long shows. Yeah. I was just like... I, I, thought,
1: like, I thought it was pretty reasonable actually. Yeah. If you think about the fact that, I mean, again, it kind of compa- depends on the the cultural expectation but you are hard pressed to get a regular like musical, stage musical ticket in London for less than 70 pounds up towards, you know, up to around 100 maybe or 150 for the fancy seats. You know, for something that's six hours long, and I thought the lottery system is a perfectly fair way of doing it, the the very nature of high concept immersive where there's, um, you know, the ratio of audience to actor is favourable for experience rather than profit means that, you know, they are tricky productions to to put on and and, and make work. I mean, it's why the infamous Yumi Bum Bum train will never become... uh, a production that tours or a production that could exist without Arts Council funding because it's literally 300 people working on it on the car side of things with volunteers to to one person going through at a time. So
0: tell folks about that because I think there's a lot of folks listening to the show who don't know about Yumi Bum Bum
1: Chain. Yumi Bum Bum Chain has the silliest name of any immersive show ever. That's fact. Um, Also, it's the hardest ticket to get hold of which is why I will straight up Full disclosure, admit I have never been, but from what I do know about it is that you go through a series of scenes as a solo player, which involve you being put into uh, scenarios where you are um, engaged to to be put on the spot. You might have to um, go on stage and answer questions um, for a talk show host in front of a full audience, or you might go into a medical operating room and have to perform theatre. Um these kinds of environments where there's a huge amount of cast and you are the only person that is experiencing it as an audience member at that point. Um, it's, I know it's, it constantly sells out every time they do it because it's supposed to be amazing. I know lots of people that have found um, volunteering as part of the extended cast a really rewarding experience. Mm. Um, so that's, yeah, it's, it's kind of legendary. Yeah. And yeah, I I wish I could tell you how to get tickets, but I still
0: don't know. <laughs> well, and this thing is, it pops up every once in a while. I think and, they do a lottery as well, actually. Yeah. And then there's the and and that whole idea of like oh there's like you know there's thirty people in the audience uh, for something and it's like they're all looking at you this total inversion of the usual theatrical norm. Yeah. What what have you you said you love drama man what what is hot in London right now I mean I know there's there's a lot of there's been a lot of controversy about like, okay, is this immersive? Is that immersive? There were a lot of shows that were sort of just, they were staged in the round and people were trying to like sell that off as immersive. Yeah. I
1: think the audience is pretty savvy now. You can't really just get away with going, Oh, look, we've, you know, got you to do a a little thing or like, you know, the, 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 the bar is set quite high already. The, um, the kind of, uh, the Safe Bet Productions are anything by Les Enfants Terribles, mm. who did um, Alice's Adventure Underground, which recently finished, um, and that was a great sort of classic example of a well-designed experience where you're taken through in small groups. There's a, an interactive element of it. You're not, um, you don't really have to dress up, but because the world's so kind of crazy and there's so much going on, you don't really, f- and you're only going through with a group of maybe five or six people, you don't feel like that's a barrier. Um, it's, it was very well designed. And um, hats off to them. And I know that they've got an upcoming production. that might have started already. Called Inside Pussy Riot. Which is an immersive production of something to do with the band Pussy Riot. But I don't know much more about it yet. So maybe one to check out. Uh, there's the um, the dining group. The Ginger Line. Who you might have heard of. <sighs> so they do... Um, it's, it's a dining experience. Three courses. But the whole... Um, experiences is, is very much like a you know there's a full concept it's an immersive world there's actors there's a whole sort of 360 set that you're going into and being part of so it's dying rather than kind of adventure based but I would still say that that's you know uh, an established immersive contender I'm trying to think of us as doing things at the moment um there's a great set design duo called Darling and Edge who work with Ginger Lime who are now doing their own production called a Night's Darkling Glory, which is, I think, a live musical scoring thing with food and immersive elements to it. So there's, yeah, there's a few groups who have started their own things, who've now gone off to form splinter groups, other different kind of productions going on. It's a good, you know, it's exciting times.
0: It, does it feel like it's still kind of growing? I mean, you've got you've got Punch Drunk is active there. You know, you've got Secret Cinema. You've got uh, the terrible I just butchered that. Um, And I know, I mean, Alice's Adventures Underground has happened a couple of times. Yeah, they did.
1: I think the first one was in 2015 and then the the second one was this year.
0: Yeah. Um, Is it, does it feel like there's still growth, still room to grow? Like, have people gotten fatigued
1: yet? I think they're, um, it's getting more and more broader in its popularity. I know Mm. that there are also immersive production companies um, who I heard about but just never got around to seeing anything. So I think there are still groups popping up. The things that make it challenging in London are lack of space. Um, mm. Trying to find kind of big, disused buildings in the capital of, of a country where um, the well, basically, like just the entire kind of housing market and anything to do with buildings is um, is a contentious issue. Um, so yeah, it's you know there's a couple of squeeze points in terms of the the, the practicalities of, of finding locations yeah. for um, for site specific pieces. But uh, yeah, no, I, I think it is still growing and I think they're, they're getting better as well.
0: What have you learned in your sort of adventures here in L.A., meeting people and talking? And have you gotten a chance to see anything while you've been here? Or uh, it's all sold out before you? Loads of it was sold
1: out. Yeah. I did. I went um, uh, on the Society's first... And the K1 to K7, I think it's called. Um, oh,
0: uh, yeah. Uh, Genesis is what they're yes. calling that. Yeah.
1: Um, where you go hiking. Oh, yeah. That's not a spoiler. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that was, yeah, that's a very small scale piece. I mean, and for me, that was actually really interesting because immersive theater just seems to have kind of jumped to a certain of scale of production. Like, I don't really recall. Maybe I just missed it. Maybe I was too busy partying in my 20s. But um those kind of more experimental format small-scale productions is something that I think you've got a really interesting sort of grassroots uh yeah kind of family of of, of interesting projects going on here so I mean yeah I I think it'll be well worth following a few of these, seeing what sticks seeing how these productions and the directors and writers evolve so yeah there are definitely um little pockets of interesting things um, and some of the people I met everyone's just so nice and friendly <laughs> I met the soci- uh, the Speakies Society as well um, I've been checking out into the film the guys who are, did the, they did a beta production earlier this year yeah. and they're looking to start doing more um, yeah cinema screening based immersive productions really excited by um, sort of what they're gonna be doing so yeah I think there was um, I just I love how genuine the excitement is here. Like, I can see that there's little pockets uh, who are still kind of finding their feet maybe a bit. Um, and there's... It's, it's just kind of come out of a different culture. Yeah. We don't have the haunting side of things here. We, in London, we don't have... Yeah, in London, we don't have kind of the extreme haunts or the kind of immersive horror-type experiences. It just doesn't really exist. There isn't an appetite for it, I guess. Or maybe no one's really got into it. Um, there's obviously kind of escape rooms popping up all over the place. And just... Um, Yeah, I'm just really intrigued to see how you can almost map how immersive evolves um, kind of parallel to the different types of culture that were already around. Yeah. So I know that there's a strong kind of arm of kind of more tech-based immersive and VR here, which I think is a little bit ahead of London. Hmm. But there isn't perhaps so much of the kind of traditional stage type theatre that maybe went on to inspire some of the immersive productions in London. So there's, yeah, there's different swings and roundabouts, I think yeah. is the short way of saying. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, and, and, and like some of the companies like, you know, Speakeasy Society, you know, the before they went to, a lot of them went to CalArch, they were at NYU. And so they were around for sort of the formative punch drunk years. So I know that they, they picked up on some stuff there. Um And then you have, you have people coming from all kinds of a- angles. You know, Tad over at, uh at, the society. He's very interested in transmedia stuff. There's a lot of approaches you know, in that piece that are coming out of that mm. world. The VR thing, you know, there's, there'll be these little moments of crossover and I'll always find out that like one of the creators here is like working on a VR project or has been brought in somewhere to like, Interesting. do some like 360 videos somewhere. And then, and then the horror thing is like That's what's interesting there is like that just really collided with us last year in in full force. We'd always I mean, we had had we part of it's because the first year of No Pro was a year that delusion was happening. But then there was a bye year and there was still stuff happening. There were still haunts. There was still Wicked Lit. There was this this long tradition of, of, you know, horror, you know, haunted houses, home haunts. That happened here in Southern California because of Knott's Berry Farm and Universal, you know, sort of having fans that then wanted to do it themselves and with with sort of delusion being the one thing that kind of bridge the gap right. between the two worlds and then last year was this this confluence because it was the second year of creep it was delusion and then uh darren limbalzman's tension experience mm-hmm. and darren who was you know obsessed with punch drunk's work and other people and you know and then she fell and everything wanted to take you know his skills as a genre filmmaker and apply them to this this form and do like a very complicated you know transmedia, ARG-based, you know, meta stories.
1: I think it's where you get these bridges happening that you're gonna see some really exciting developments in the next few years, because for me, the sweet spot is when you find ways for technology to really enhance an experience. I do find VR quite isolating, but there's there's gonna be, I think that the next sort of big movement is gonna be towards those mixed reality environments where you've got intelligent use of Special effects and tech effects to kind of really help bring an experience to life, but mm. not in a way where you're shoehorning them in, which is a pet hate of mine. <laughs> well, the, the, the big the big test is
0: just went on. The tickets for it went on sale the day we're recording this, which is at the the Void VR, the Star Wars thing they're going to install in Orlando and Anaheim in the in the downtown Disney section, like the open to the all public, no ticketed. Um, And that's going to be a Star Wars, you know, Lucasfilms going into the whole, the whole shebang. Yeah, it's going (laughs) to... And, and one of my friends uh, got to do the test of uh, the, the ghostbusters, one they built for Madame Trousseau's, uh, which apparently like they've got mocked up somewhere here in town because they have offices around here. That's
1: Cause cool. Because
0: he, he messaged me on Facebook and said, like, I just did it, oh my God. And I was like, wait, you're in New York? Like, are you there for... And he's like, no, it's here. And I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> um, uh, so and he's like, I didn't believe until, you know, I didn't believe it until, until I, I, I did this thing. Um, and that's gonna be that's gonna be interesting to see because that is a mixed reality setup. It's not just visual. They've got props you're interacting with, and I know I know that some of the very people who are working on that have an interest in this very this very scene.
1: Yeah, right. you've got evangelists on both sides, and I hope that it kind of comes together as being something that can be seen as complementary rather than competing. Yeah, you know, I, I've heard. I saw um the review of the Westworld experience at Comic Con and yeah. it was I mean, obviously it was it's like the hottest ticket in town and it was such an amazing sort of experience for the writer and that for me has been something that in a lot of the experiences I produced where you've got maybe um maybe kind of playful elements of kind of uh, you can like you have certain tactics you can use where you can find information out about people and replay it back to them the way they don't expect or you can just have one-on-one interactions in a way that catch people off guard and it's that human interaction point that people always recall that's always like their favorite bit like oh how did that guy know that I what my name was or that I'd you know been on holiday or something like some funny little detail that if you're doing small scale productions and you want to do like the creepy type where you basically stalk them beforehand, (laughs) then yeah, then it's it's a it's a really good like little trick of of how you can kind of play with people. You've got to be really careful not to do anything too weird. Like you can't be like, hmm, how's your five year old child? I saw them at school this morning. That doesn't go down well.
0: Yeah. Or, or you know, if you only know one thing, then it can also like read a little, little thin. Like one of my friends was talking about that exact kind of experience like the other night to me and saying like, I think they only know one thing about me, which mm. is this. And, I, and we were like, Oh, that's funny. You know, like that's the th- only. It's a one trick pony. It's like, yeah, I've,
1: I, I've had ones where the whole thing was that you gave your name at the beginning. and You didn't really think about it because it was just a form. And then there was some point later where you went through this. Um, it was in block nine at Glastonbury a couple of years ago, and you opened a fridge to go into a room, and it was a bunch of people singing "Happy Birthday" to the and they'd written "Happy Birthday, Venetia" on the fridge, but they'd spelled my name wrong because oh, <laughs>
0: yeah,
1: because I hadn't yeah, I hadn't filled in the form myself. I just told the person my oh. name, and she'd written it down, and no one can spell Venetia, yeah, including some of my own relatives. Yeah, I said it.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, it's funny because like there was. Um, in the course of, like, one week, I had two shows both, like, put my picture into the show, like, like snuck it in there right? Um, so that I would, like, discover it. Um, and in both cases, it landed pretty well. But, like, one of them, they had dug up a relatively obscure picture. And I was like, I can't remember when I took that. That's weird. <laughs> That's weird. Yeah. Cause you, and And it had this, it, it sort of bifurcated my consciousness. Because on the one hand, I was like oh my God, how'd they find this? And then the other part of my brain was like, wait, when did I take this? Is this on my Facebook? Where is this? How old? And like, and then I was thinking about the process by which they extracted the information. I wasn't just in the moment of like, oh my God, it's me.
1: Yeah, and we're on a tipping point as well where we're of a generation where people don't really pay that much attention to how much information they're putting out Mm -hmm. on the internet. Like, you think back about just the amount of pictures, posts, different formats or different social channels and things you share that you really kind of worry too much of this state or most people don't about sort of the levels of privacy associated with that it could be that this is just something that you know as we move towards a more kind of conscientious generation who are more paranoid about their government stealing (laughs) secrets from them or what have you then we won't see so much of that and it is you know it is a very particular type of tactic and it has to be done well like I'm yeah I'm very very kind of strong on not doing things unless you can really make sure that they are done properly because there's nothing worse than As someone who comes from, like, a background about, you know, basically my... The bones of my experience are, is everyone in the room having on a basic level a time where their their entertainment and their experience isn't being interrupted by the fact they've got to queue too long for a drink or there's too much of a crowd to get in or like those kind of fundamental logistics, which right. are the very unsexy side of producing experiences and, and events. But they're also really useful to think about because oh when they yeah. don't work, when something's out of sync or the timing doesn't work, it's just, it snaps you straight out of it.
0: Oh yeah. The, in the first year of No Pro there was an event that was organized and we were we were very excited about it and a friend was working on it and we had these these wonderful visions for what it could be but the way they handled the bar and it wasn't it wasn't he that did the bar but like the, the way the event producers handled the bar was the most daft thing possible because there was only one drink that was available that's quite restrictive which is which was which would have been fine if they had that and put it all and just were just dispensing it right, but instead they were making them individually. Oh no, for Nightmare. maybe like forty people. So like that we had they had designed this entire like process by which people were like brought into the space, and that was probably like the best thing about getting in you know About um, the best thing about the whole thing is how people are getting <laughs> in the space and then we open the door and there's a line for the bar that never ends before oh. we get and it was just it, it kills was, me it, it, it hurt it hurt my soul to watch and you could watch you could watch the room go from being like oh to oh, oh before yeah. even the main thing started batch
1: your cocktails event, yeah. event producers yeah and have enough restrooms
0: yeah that Top was, tips. Yeah, ba- <laughs> the basics. The basics of it all, and it just—it was. Yeah, if you don't batch the cocktails when there's only one cocktail, you're you're asking for it. It was just bad, bad call, really bad call. <laughs> and I'm sure the bartender would have liked to have batched the I'm cocktails sure. too. It's like making like seventy old fashioned or shaken cocktails by hand. You're dead by the end. Yeah. Um, we were talking before we started uh, a bit. And you don't necessarily have to name names, but I was interested in that you've been like going around to some like marketing folks around here and sort of seeing how how, how aware they are about this sort of stuff. So could you give us like a, a temperature reading? on Yeah, that totally. World?
1: I think um, there's certainly a couple of um, productions that have shown that there's more of an appetite for it. I know that Warner's did the immersive it. Um, house um, not too long ago to launch the film and I think you're going to see a bit more of that I think you're going to see a little bit more boldness um, from the studios and from big brands to um, create um, live experiences to to launch platforms um, like tv shows um, examples being where there's like you know where it's like a a movie or or a show where there's a world that that you can then replicate it's quite it's quite an easy fit but I think alongside that you're going to have everything from washing machines to tvs to i mean i've done immersive well i've done experiential activations for everything from mobile phones to batteries to (laughs) head torches all sorts um and there are lots of playful ways that these can be happening and um yeah I i think at the moment there's a bit of a disconnect i think you've got the marketing world who thinks a lot about experiential and then you've got theatrical public ticketed experiences who are more about the sort of artistic um culture of immersive and you're just starting to see these little kind of inroads happening between the two and um I th- yeah I, I can definitely see that one, one will start to inspire the other i think particularly on the brand side of things as they realize that more audience members are comfortable with interactive environments it's just gonna be a, like i you know it's it's um It's a no-brainer for them to then go, okay, well, look, let's invite people into a space. And we're not going to charge them. It's not going to be a thing where you buy a ticket. It's going to be a marketing exercise. You didn't have to pay to go into the house, I don't think.
0: No, you didn't. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Like, because you can see a billboard, or you can watch, you know, a trailer, or you can go past a poster telling you there's a movie on. But if you go into a live environment, and then, and this is the crucial part, you then tweet about it, or you post a picture on your Instagram, or you tell your friends that is gold as far as they're concerned in terms of yeah. the the genuine enthusiasm being then passed on like that's that's you know that's what they want
0: it, it's funny because like a year ago i was talking with um was it a year? yeah it was a year ago around this time or a year maybe like a year and a month ago i was talking with uh jacob patterson of think tank gallery here in town and they were trying to line up a sponsor and i won't name names but they were trying to line up a sponsor um to uh, back the escape room they were building, uh, which was uh, the, the trap house last year, uh, which wound up being pr- pretty cool and, and pretty good. Um, and the people they were talking to, the marketing manager there said, for that amount of money, I can buy 5,000 impressions on, you know, on." Facebook like why would I waste all this cash on your thing when I can or like it was like 10,000 impressions when I can just buy those impressions you know guaranteed you know boost the posts and be done with it I'm not going to waste money on this and we were both so flabbergasted by how dense that person was in terms of how they were thinking
1: absolutely and I think you're you're going to see hopefully I mean this is my, my personal kind of aim is to move forward a type of slightly more um, advanced way of thinking, which is maybe looking beyond the impression and going, but what actually happens after that? Like, you know, basically yeah. your marketing agencies are and strategy agencies are now getting more and more, um, like, more, you know, they're getting cleverer about how they follow social analytics. It's not just, hey, there's, you know, 5,000 impressions on Facebook. It's how many of those people went on to change their buying habits or. Yeah. What impact did those impressions have? Like, so we'll pay an influencer $20,000 to tweet about our product, but it's like, but does that actually result in anyone else buying it? Right. Like, it's, they're getting smarter because you know what? People want to know that their money's being spent well. Yeah. And so the minute you come up with a way, and that's the trickiest part about it, is of, as what is your mechanic for following through the success rate of a live immersive experience? Yeah. But we're getting there.
0: Well, I mean, the whole the whole influencer thing... You know, is so ridiculous to me on so many levels and particularly it's like oh $20,000 to get an influencer who half the time those influencers are just stealing other people's content right to like tweet about or or you let's be honest do an Instagram post about our brand and Instagram has just changed things now where it's like I'm seeing in actual people's things that the other day like someone I follow was like oh sponsored by this so like they're starting to like yeah. become a little bit more transparent
1: they're trying to I think they're trying to kind of make it a little bit more evident what's sponsored, what's an ad, what's, which is of course the complete opposite of what the brand world wants you to do. Right. They want it to be like, oh yeah, I didn't get paid for this. I just happened to really love this brand of cupcakes and I've tweeted about it or whatever, you know. Yeah.
0: It's, Whereas it's, me, there's a bit of a clash. If they, throw, if they throw a party and give out the cupcakes, and they invite a bunch of people and maybe they invite famous people and influencers as well but then they invite normal people then everyone's just tweeting about the cupcakes yeah right? I'll have
1: some cupcakes thanks yeah. if anyone's offering
0: yeah I will well yeah I will gladly post about cupcakes if they're free cupcakes and they're good right you know that's yeah that's I mean trick.
1: like we're not influencers or anything but we can totally be bribed
0: yeah <laughs> I mean no pro has its ethics but if there are free cupcakes I'm not going to be adver- and they're good I'm not going to be adverse to telling we fa- people we found that your boundaries they free cupcakes <laughs> Mail them to uh, <laughs> nine nine. No, sorry.
1: Uh,
0: <laughs> I was going to give me an actual address.
1: <laughs> Easy.
0: It would, it would. Well, no one. would I've
1: know. got some cheese and crackers if you're hungry. No,
0: it's cool. Okay, I, mean, I, mean, I probably need to eat before the live stream, but that's not a thing entirely. Uh, um, no, but like it's it's it just seems like it's a more efficient use of resources yeah. to like stage an event, bring a boatload of people through it, let the word of mouth go organically that way.
1: Also, I would hope that at some point, I'm creating something that people actually have fun doing. I, you yeah. know, I've, I've done things back in London or or across the UK where I, you know, was asked to do uh, interactive type environments for brands at festivals. And as someone who has been going to festivals, whether they're music co- sort of based ones or more kind of bohemian, artsy, literary, all sorts of types of um, activities and entertainment going on, I really hate it when you've got like all this lovely kind of organic um cultural activity and then it was like oh look there's the toothpaste dan <laughs> and it just <laughs> like really <laughs> so for me it's like a mark of pride if I can create something that brings value to an environment and hey that brand has paid for it and the people that are experiencing get it for free and they have a nice time I did one um last summer which was an intergalactic space base for families where they got to go into this environment they got kind of grilled by actors at like an airport desk we had this co2 um uh kind of thing in the ceiling that was like blasting the moms and dads kind of so we could check that the parents weren't like undercover aliens and they got to kind of go explore this little base and they got to crawl through this tunnel to get out of it um and that was for a brand. Um, so I mean, it was like, they had the best time. All these mums and dads and their kids coming out and going, oh yeah, that was so much fun. And it was actually really nice. So we got to do an activity as a family. And I was like, oh, I brought some good into the world. (laughs) Nice. Well,
0: one more, one more question in, in this vein. Um, because I know some of these installations that get popped up, you know, they don't have any performers in them um and that's there's a lot of experiential stuff going on there's a lot you'll get things like the museum of ice cream or i think like 29 rooms i don't think has any um
1: yeah i heard the phrase selfie museum for the first time of the week which is how you would describe the museum of ice cream the whole thing is literally designed to be a photo op and yeah yeah you're gonna see more of those too
0: but well the brands do you think the brands will like opt for more of that stuff than bothering to have like designed narrative based experiences or will the selfie thing just sort of like burn itself out i
1: think it. it's going to be popular amongst certain types of brands but it also kind of depends on what they want to like what what is the point something that i kind of come <laughs> back to very regularly when i'm kind of got my strategy hat on and saying why is it you want to do this who is it you're trying to reach um what's your message is making sure that there is actually a point to it all because there are just times when, yeah, when we're also learning. This is such a fast-paced progression in terms of audience, in terms of, you know, how we interact as a consumer society. Um, that you, you, you do kind of have a few test runs, and sometimes it doesn't always hit, but I'm, I think the success of the Museum of Ice Cream means that you will almost certainly see similar types of projects pop up. The, um, obviously, that wasn't branded. The, yeah. that, that is just everyone loves ice cream, which is just a universal fact. Right. right? Um, so there's just going to be I, I think there will be, there'll be Versions of that The one thing you don't get across if you're trying to come up with it From a commercial perspective Is that you um, If you want to tell people about things Then there are certain more, more obvious ways of doing that Like you can have a sign on the wall Or you can have a poster or you can have a person And of those three things I guess it's pretty evident which is the most effective If someone tells you something face to face it's, it's more of an engaging interaction than you walking past something on the wall and maybe reading it and maybe not reading it. So yeah. for me, I always try and champion the human element just because, you know, I want to see all these out-of-work actors get jobs. Uh, <laughs> no, not just that, because I do think it works. I th- yeah. think, you know, without having any kind of... This is like my pop, sort of pop psychology part where I'm like, I don't really know the science behind it, but it just, you know, from what I've I've garnered through... A number of years of experiences. It's it's the thing that people find stimulating is talking to each other. Weird, I know.
0: That's how this show works. Venisha, thank you so much for taking the time. This was great. I'm glad it was it was it, of the possibilities of the awkward. We don't really talk about <laughs> anything, or the oh, it's been 45 minutes. Really, wow. Uh, it was the. Laugh. I love
1: a natter Thanks very much, Noah. What
0: again I want to thank our guest Venetia harpin for being on the show with us today hey here's the part of the show um and and I just realized that the opening segment was about 12 minutes long uh maybe maybe longer than that and the goal of the show was to like have that kind of stuff happen here I just felt we had a, we had a lot of announcements um and announcements that I didn't want Anyone to miss so apologies We're gonna do what we can to kind of get the show back to that Format that I really really like which is you know It's not a lot of me at the start there's Like another interview then we go On we do the second interview Just been busy oh my god It's spooky season We've got these Leia meetings that we're Doing we just had a really productive one This past week uh, we're getting ready to Like launch the committees um, If you don't know what Leia is it is the league Of experiential and immersive artists you can find out more about it by going to uh, founding.leia.design. That is where we've put up our um, sort of our. It's not really a manifesto. That would be overselling it. It's just our statement about you know us forming this group. Um, you know it's going to be a, a non-profit organization that's designed to um, you know advance the 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 purpose of uh, immersive entertainment, immersive art and entertainment. There we go, um, and and indeed uh, the little story I was going to tell you uh, because you know Matt Matt was like you got to talk to Venetia and as I was saying right before um, uh, <laughs> the first the first time um, this is this is two this is an apartment ago uh, it was in like the first weeks of No Pro, right so this is like episode episode two maybe I think we were we were recording and. Um, we, we didn't even have the Yeti yet I was still recording off the laptop And I had invited the Speakeasy Society over And uh, Genevieve and Julianne showed up um, And I opened the door And I was like, oh, hey, is, is Matt coming? <laughs> because I wanted to show Matt my Star Wars <laughs> tour. And I like only had like a handful at the time too, <laughs> like, compared to what I have now, which is dis- disastrous. Um, and for a second, I thought they were like, "Oh, what? Why? Why is this sexist idiot like like disappointed with us? We founded this stupid company, right?" But like, no, they weren't thinking that at all. Um, it was just like my nerdery was like, oh, "I want to show him a toy." <laughs> So yeah, I spent a lot of time laughing at just how awkward of a human being I am. Um, speaking of which, um, ever since we announced the immersive design summit, you know, I've been getting a lot of Facebook friend requests. This sounds like the world's worst humble brag. Um, it is. It is the world's worst humble brag. And and there's been there's been amazing people are reaching out. It's it's so great, and I'm glad you're reaching out. I have this thing about Facebook. Um, I don't. Tr- I, Twitter is for public. Facebook is for semi-private. That's how I treated them almost 10 years ago. 10 years. Actually, no, that is, I've been treating them that way for the better part of 10 years. Um, It saved my sanity up till now. Everything Immersive, obviously, is a public forum, right? You know, we love it for that. Um, everythingimmersive.com leads you to the Facebook group. There's, like, almost 2,300 people in there. We've only had it since May. It's done wonders for this community and the show and all this sort of stuff. Um, the the Slack channel that we operate for No For Sinium, that's actually, like, really great. I don't push that at all that often. We do all the editorial organizing for no persinium in there. We've got the ticket swap channel, we've got like the different sub channels for the different regions that we cover. And there are occasionally, you know, we occasionally throw office hours in there and there's there's little talk. It's it's not a high volume Territory, I think actually there's a lot more you know, back and forth over everything immersive, but it does have the advantage of mobile alerts on tickets So if that's something you're into hit me up about joining the slack channel But also we're always up open for there being more discussion in there. Like I don't I'm I'm not averse to that There's a lot of private channel discussion. I get the little reports. I don't see your private Things people on slack, but it does say like all oh, you have this many messages this year <laughs> this month or week and it's like oh oh my God, like people are talking in the private channels, which is great. So if you want like a little back channel area, if you want like a little, little turf, uh, check out our Slack. Just um, It's it's uh, open invite now. Anyone who's a member of the Slack can get you in. Uh, and then there's uh, also, um, you can always email me, noah at nofresinium.com, and we'll get you on the Slack. Um, anyway, uh, the point is that um, if you add me on Facebook. Um, you'll probably get a, and we haven't met in real life. You'll probably get a message from me saying like, Hey, um, thank you so much. Super flattered. Uh, I don't friend people on Facebook unless I've met them in real life. Uh, or I've had extensive conversations with them online ahead of time. Um, This is just my way of trying to fight the algorithm of trying to make sure that the word friend means something. Um, It's one of my personality quirks. I know that, you know, it'd be a hell of a lot easier on the business side of things if I just friended everybody. And I'll definitely, you know, people who want to connect, I'll add you on Messenger. Um, You know, feel free to friend me, send me a message and be like, hey, this is why I want to connect. I just I just find the process so inhuman, and um, it really cuts against my values. And and if you do it, I'm not judging you. It's just I know it's not for me. Um, I'm more than willing to talk to you in many many digital forums. Just Facebook, you know, remains sort of where there's a there's kind of a part of my personality um, that's not entirely managed. Yes, this is a managed <laughs> public persona. Um, so. Uh, and yes, I know you can do groups and lists and what I just, it's just a lot of, it winds up being a lot of work to serve Mark Zuckerberg's quest for global domination and not my own quest for global domination. And that's just wrong. Um, the point being that I'm always more than willing to talk to you, assuming I have the bandwidth, uh, although these days, oh my God, um, but just know that it'll be a while before I say, like, friend. Actually, probably one of the best ways to become my Facebook friend. Uh, if you want to be my Facebook friend and you, well, I don't know anymore. Like, used to be pretty reliable. If I had talked to you for, like, on Twitter for, like, six months consistently, yeah, I'd Facebook friend you. It would just be weird. It's like, this is awkward. We should be friends on Facebook. Um, and I don't know why. Like, Like, I used to, anyway, let's not talk about social media. Social media is, like, way too... Hopefully, you know, maybe all the crises we're having on it, we'll, we'll fix them. We've got to. Or we're doomed. <laughs> oh, man. This is not why you come to the show. I know. But here it is anyway. Here's me. Um, How do you connect with us? Let's do that part, right? Um, Well, ironically enough, uh, you can find us on Facebook. We're at Novocinium everything immersive which i'll say again and again and again and again that is uh the best place to engage um and i gotta gotta talk to the other mods we're gonna we're gonna start um being a little tighter um as as it goes on it's getting bigger it's getting unwieldy i'm gonna start enforcing show threads i'm gonna ask the others like I need everyone to like start enforcing show threads a little more tightly. Um, just cause it's kind of flying out of control right now. Um, you can find us, like I mentioned on our Slack, if you want to join our Slack um, that uh, just email me, Noah at no com. Um, you can find us on Twitter at no Uh You can find us on Instagram, which is blow it up. Thank you, Catherine uh, and Catherine also stepped in on the Twitter a bit uh, and on our Facebook. She's an ace. Oh my God. Uh, that uh, is is Instagram is at no underscore proscenium I know. I know. We couldn't get it. man eh, Couldn't get it. Um, what else is there in the world? Those are all the ways to reach just, Oh, if you want to pitch us a story, you got to show pitches at no That is the most efficient way. Don't just email me anymore with your PR announcements. Email them to pitches at no more than I see them. Remember, I'm wearing a lot of hats these days. we got the Summit, we got Leia, I actually have a job. Uh, all these things uh, means uh, that there's a, there's a lot of help going on behind the scenes now. Uh, it's changed so much in just a couple of weeks. Um, hopefully, even more people joining uh, the rank soon. If you want to write for us, uh, remember, it's a devil's bargain. Um, oh, we pay in exposure, which means we we strip you naked and toss you into the snow. Wait, no, that's wrong. Um, We cover expenses where we can. And that's one of the things that the Patreon goes to. So would I like to be paying people uh, a decent word rate? Oh, yeah. Um, Am I willing to sell out our souls to, you know, some escape room franchise company and just have ads for that group all day long? Probably not. Although, you know, we don't do a lot of escape reviews, so maybe. No, no. No, well, I mean, no. Underwriting? Yes. Sell our souls for sponsored content? No. Definitely, definitely not sponsored content. Ew. Ugh. Ugh. Now, that's different from having the creator of something come on and write a post, like a developer's diary. I'm super into that idea. But. I'm not tasking a writer to write a fluff piece about a show. We don't do that. You can tell from yesterday's (laughs) reviews, we, we, we don't. We try to be fair. We try to be nice in that we're not needlessly cruel, but we also, you know, when we see stuff that we think needs work, we will say that. So there you go. Point of pride. Foolish, foolish pride. All right. This show is an hour and ten minutes long already. Um, you're like, diminishing returns. Click. Uh, I agree. I need more coffee. Let's get out of here. So here's the last bits of the thing. The credits. The music for No Persinium, as always, is by Chris Porter of the Speakeasy Society. The sustaining backers of No Persinium are Ross Sigworth and Lonnie Hanson whose name I pray to God I did not butcher because I'm so famous for that. And I talk to Lonnie every week. So you'd think I'd get it right. And I know he's listening. If no one else listens to the show, Lonnie listens to the show. That I know. Thank you a lot, Lonnie. It really means a lot. Um, to, and, and I'm more than happy to have your name in the credits. All right immersive design summit coming up in San Francisco on January 6th. Shout out to Steve and Gabe for working on that with me, uh, for honestly for dragging me into it. They wanted to do it. They reached out to me and they said like, Hey, you want to work on this with us? And we've been just running with it. So fantastic. Keep an eye on immersive design uh, for more announcements, get on the mailing list for more announcements. Also, they're going to be in all the usual places and, uh, Yeah, we're not done yet. Oh, we are not done yet. Right. That's enough. I don't even have the energy to hype beast right now. Um, There's plenty out in the world. It's exciting. Los Angeles, cloak and dagger, grief, all sorts of things. Until next time, I'll see you at the show.